Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together, Lord, to celebrate Easter Sunday. As we reflect on the sacrifice, God, we celebrate in the resurrection. And that is why we are here today. So Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Glad that you're here today. Uh, we're glad that you're spending Easter with us here at Chanel. I want to start with a story that is kind of hard to transition from the demonstration that John just did for us, but it's about the Waffle House. So I just kind of want to say that so that you're all prepared. Uh, one of the things that, that Judah and I have been doing recently is having father and son trips to the Waffle House. I believe Proverbs 22 says, train a child up in the ways of the Lord and, and that way he will go. It's very similar to that. There's some, some theology rooted in these Waffle House trips. But I'm a sucker for my kids. All Isla has to do is smile at me. She gets it. Game over. Like, it's whatever she wants, she can have. But Judah has started doing this thing where he says, I, I need some father-son time down at the Waffle House. And then we go. Now, I love the Waffle House for this very reason, that everyone is on the same page at the Waffle House. It doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor. It doesn't matter where you're from, uh, where you've been, where you're going. They're going to treat you the same at the Waffle House. Now, you may not enjoy that treatment, but it's the same. And so I'm instilling within Judah these values. But Judah has a particular order that he likes at the Waffle House. He goes to the Waffle House, and Whitney and I, one of the things that we've tried to do with our children is, is force them to order. We want them to be able to order, even as a, a seven-year-old, what he wants to communicate eye contact with the server. And so he'll go, he'll sit down, he'll hold his menu, I'll say, I'll have a waffle with chocolate chips and a side of bacon every time. It's kind of, that's his order. So a few weeks ago, we were at a particular Waffle House location. I won't say which one. Judah's already trying to take down them on Yelp, so we don't want any more bad reviews for this particular location. <coughs> but we're there, and he, he goes in, and he builds up the courage. And he says, I would like a waffle, uh, chocolate chips, side of bacon. Like I said, everybody's treated the same at the Waffle House. They don't care if you're a kid or an adult. And that server said, we don't have chocolate chips. The boy was crushed. He thought, is this even a Waffle House? I, I've come to this beautiful house of waffles, and there are no chocolate chips. And Judah looked at me across the table and said, should we leave? <laughs> and I said, no. Now it's awkward, because she heard that. But I tell that story is because Judah entered the Waffle House, as he does every Friday that we go, expecting chocolate chips with his waffle. The story that we've spent a lot of time in over the last few weeks of the leading, turning our attention towards Easter is a lot about expectations. And the text that we enter into this morning follows that same trend of individuals going one particular place expecting to find something. So our passage this morning begins in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. A point that must be made is that these women, although dedicated followers of Jesus, did not go to the tomb believing in resurrection. See, the Gospel of Luke includes six different predictions of the resurrection, yet they still bring spices for the body. They did not anticipate finding the body of Christ gone. 
In their minds, in their experience, they had witnessed the pain. They had seen the suffering. They had seen the death. And because of that, they anticipate seeing a dead body of someone that they loved. And so they bring exactly what one would bring if you believed you were entering into a tomb at this time. See, the body of Christ at this point in the story had not been anointed yet. There been no oils involved in this process. After Jesus died, they, they wrapped him in cloth and took his body to the tomb. That was it. And so the women are going to the tomb to pay respects to Jesus, to, to anoint his body with oils. And the next line is, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Mark includes a detail that it's a little bit different, that, that adds a little more of the humanity to this story, because Mark says that the women were discussing, how are we going to move this stone? How are we going to roll this stone away because of the size and the weight of this stone? They knew that they couldn't do it themselves. Luke skips that completely and just informs the reader that the stone had already been moved. But a detail in this story that must, be, but must not be overlooked is that the women were curious. I believe in this moment that as they see the stone rolled away, that they believe that someone had done something malicious to the body of Christ, or perhaps even stolen the body. But at this point, they still do not believe in the resurrection. And so they enter. It says, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Do you see that entering does not equal belief? In this context, the women enter the tomb, and it's not that moment of enlightenment. They don't enter the tomb and automatically say, oh, the resurrection has occurred. Because they're still entering the tomb, believing that something has happened to Christ. If anything, there is still doubt. There is still questioning. And we know this because of the next line. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. The Greek word for this is the word that we use for perplexed, this idea of wondering. It's just mental confusion. They can't comprehend what they are experiencing. They've gone to the tomb with spices expecting to take care of the dead body of Jesus Christ. Yet when they go there, the stone is rolled away and the, tomb is, the body is gone. So the empty tomb for them does not lead to faith because it must be explained. So let's go to the next verse there. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? And we've seen elements of angels of the Lord throughout Scripture, particularly in the story of the birth of Christ with Mary. When the angel of the Lord comes to Mary, Mary is terrified. It's a similar experience. But the fear that these women at the tomb that day experience quickly turns to awe. When they say, why do you look for the living among the dead? Throughout this passage, I've been looking for those moments where they get it. Those moments where they realize that something is happening beyond them. That no, this is not a malicious act. No, no one has stolen the body of Christ. No, nothing bad has happened, but something good and amazing and divine has happened. And these angels of the Lord, they use this language of why do you look for the living among the dead? Because the tomb represents death. It represents things that have ended. Things that need to be cared for. So these angels of the Lord say, you're in the wrong place. 
They use this next line here. He is not here, he is risen. One of the classic Easter phrases. They still likely at this point were, were confused and perplexed, trying to figure out what was happening. Because I think in their hearts, they probably likely were still trying to figure out what happened to the body of Christ. Yet these angels of the Lord are saying, He is not here, He has risen. I try to add a little bit of voice a little in, in stories like this, and I wonder if they were like, what do you mean risen? We've got these spices to tend to the body, and you're trying to tell us that it's not here. He's risen. They were probably still confused, but then the angels of the Lord say this, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered the words. I mentioned this a moment ago, but Luke records about six different predictions of the resurrection of Jesus. It's very likely that some of these women were present at at least one or a few of these these declarations that Jesus would be raised from the dead. They heard the words of Christ. They experienced the teaching. But it's in this moment when the angels say, remember how he told you. It is like that light bulb coming on for them. Have you had moments like that before in your life? When for one reason or another, things just all of a sudden made sense. Perhaps you became illuminated by by something that is... And that's what's occurring for these women. In this moment, when they say, do you remember? It made sense to them. That language, that declaration from the angels of the Lord for the women meant, this is what he means. He is risen. The body has not been stolen. No one has done anything malicious to this body. All of a sudden, in this moment, it clicked for them. It made sense to them what happened. And this is where, when I look at the story, especially in Luke 24, that I get excited. Let's go to that next verse, Miles. It says, When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. I hope you see what they do the second that it makes sense to them. The second that they realize that Christ has been resurrected, that He is not there, He has risen, the first thing that they do is they go. They're on the move. After this encounter, they immediately go and share the good news with others. Just like in so many other instances where someone has an encounter with Jesus, think of all the individuals throughout the ministry of Christ where an individual was healed, that they could not contain what has happened to them. In Luke 5, Jesus heals a a paralyzed man, and the thing he does immediately after this is he took up his mat and went on praising God. Experiences Jesus and goes. In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus heals the blind, they are told, do not go tell anybody. They can't. (laughs) Like, we got to tell people about what we have experienced, what we now see. And in that story, it's not only just the the people around them that they tell. The text says that they go throughout the region and spread the good news. This, like other encounters with Jesus, for these women is an invitation to live. Do you notice that the women don't set up camp at the tomb? Like, oh, this is great. Let's stay here for a while. Let's make an altar out of this. 
Because they now realize that the tomb is for the dead and Christ has risen. And through that resurrection, these women will not be shackled by death, but will live. And so when they leave the tomb, they go and they share the good news. And they found the eleven. Can you just for a moment picture their excitement? Almost every emotion would have been wrapped up in this scene. There would have been smiles, tears, laughter. You, you fill in the blank of what these women likely experienced in this moment. Because they understood that Christ is not dead, he is risen. But look at the next text. Let's go to the next one, Miles. Sorry, buddy. But they did not believe, this is the 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Thought about this a lot, this particular scene. And over the last few weeks when we've studied the expectations of the disciples and those closest to Jesus, I wonder how they got here. I wonder how they got to this point of these women coming to them saying, we, we've gone to the tomb. Christ is not there. He is risen. For them, when the angel of the Lord talked to them, all of a sudden those predictions, the stories, the, the teachings of Jesus made sense to them. But for the eleven, the words of these women seemed like nonsense. They don't believe them. But yet the women are responding in the same way that we are called to respond when we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is risen. But Peter knows something's happened. And Peter has to confirm this for himself. It's clear that he's still not 100% sure what has happened. It just seems that he still doubts that Jesus could have been raised from the dead. But by going, the text says that he got up and ran to the tomb. But by going and running to the tomb, Peter wants to believe. He just has to see it. And friends, I, I need you to know that that's okay. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to question, as long as that doubt and that questioning, that you're running in the right direction. But I want you to notice the passion of Peter. The same man who denied Christ now runs desperately to the tomb, hoping for it to be empty. And the text says that when Peter arrived, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering what happened. The, the language there, the Greek there, is a, the tone is positive. Luke is not knocking Peter because he's wondering what's happening. In fact, it's a, a good character thing for Peter that he's questioning, that he wants to believe this. But one cannot and should not do an Easter sermon and simply leave you with, he is not here, he is risen. Because friends, if the resurrection of Christ does not motivate and activate us to share in the work of the gospel, then we are missing the point of Easter. Yes, Easter is a day to celebrate. It is a day of family and friends, even Easter eggs, and taking pictures with our kids even when they won't look at the camera. That's just what it is. But more than those, it should serve as a reminder that we are, called to, that we are also called to leave the tomb. After the resurrection, Jesus has several encounters with his followers. And one of these examples is on the road to Emmaus. On, on this journey, Christ engages with his followers before revealing himself to them at the dinner table. But there's another one that Matthew records in Matthew chapter 28. And this particular passage has become known as the Great Commission. 
And friends, Easter is an invitation for us to participate in the Great Commission. In this, Jesus tells his followers, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The intent behind the Great Commission was not for us to merely memorize these words, but to rather live them out. But if we ignore these words and reject the gifts and passions that Christ has placed on us, we are stuck in the tomb. And as my late grandmother would say, following Jesus means following Jesus. You've got to be from Kentucky to understand phrases like that. But this is the amazing power of Easter. It was like the women at the tomb. When we see and experience what Jesus has done and will continue to do, we can live. For them, when they acknowledge the power of the resurrection, they begin to see the miraculous power of God. Their lives become more than just existing. Their lives become about living like Jesus. And so Easter is about a recognition that God has called us not to stay in the tomb, but to die to ourselves, living our old ways behind us, and living a new life in Jesus Christ. And so my call to you this Easter Sunday is this. In our words and in our actions, let us, this Easter Sunday and each day moving forward, proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing together.